Hi everyone, welcome back to the Squiggly Film Club. This is Ben Mitchell, joined by Laura Beth and Steve. Hello guys. Hello. Oof. Sorry, hello. I thought I'd... Uh... Uh, the excitement of the, uh, of the film is already uh, upon us, <laughs> as you can tell. Okay, right off the bat, let's press play, because it is hot today. Okay, should we count down? <laughs> There's a lot of film to get through, so... And apologise for the sounds. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll explain the sound in a second, but... Uh, three, two, two one, play. play. And uh, this CGI statue thing. Studio Babelsberg. Signifies the beginning of... This episode's film, Isle of Dogs, mm. directed by Wes Anderson. Um, and this one, I think, what did this one beat? It was... Uh, it beat Frankenweenie. Frank ah, yes. A, a dog fight for the ages. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the Isle of Dogs dogs would definitely beat Frankenweenie in a fight. Yeah. Because like, if you bite off his ear, it just comes off. Yeah, Frank and Weenie, I imagine, will be quite easy to take apart. Maybe not that weird cat thing. Remember the no. bat cat? Did that have, like, supernatural strength? It's just vicious. Know how we're just talking about Frank and Weenie, even though Isle of Dogs won. Yeah. Um, some of you, the keen of ear, will have picked up the, a bit of low-level uh, wind noise, and that's because it's, it's too hot to not have both the window and the fan on. Um... One of them days, but I think uh, I'll do my my very best to bring it down in the sound mix. Um, these are pretty good microphones for filtering out ambient noise, so it shouldn't be too terrible. You'll get to hear the wonderful, delightful insights we have, either way. Hopefully we'll have some more police sirens as well. Oh yeah, definitely. That's for sure. <laughs> Fire engines, ambulances. All three, if you're lucky. You can Maybe we can have it be like... Uh, like a quiz in it, like how many sirens went off during podcast of Isle of Dogs? Yeah, make it a drinking game. Yeah, <gasps> yeah. So if it's an ambulance, you know, shot of bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how is it over there, Steve? Uh, I, yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, it's 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 humid. It's bloody humid. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah, it's really hot here. Um, um, so it's a sort of overbearing dry heat here in Bristol. All right, yeah. Well, it's it's. I'm wearing shorts and I never wear shorts, so I think that's a sign of the apocalypse. Dear God. <laughs> in fact, it, well, actually, we're supposed to be at Annecy, or we were supposed to be at Annecy around this time, and I sometimes wear shorts at Annecy. You know, a little treat for everyone. Mm. There's there's footage out there, I'm sure. I like that we've got the version of Isle of Dogs that is translated into. Chinese. <laughs> I think From that was the Chinese. A- <laughs> I think that was the actual film, wasn't it? It's part of the aesthetic. Oh no, wait! It's changed now. Never mind. I thought. Like, Do you think it was translated no, from Japanese under, to Chinese? Under the Chinese, and then underneath it, more Chinese. Right. But it didn't it have like any a English. Subtitle. It didn't have any English. Anywho, <laughs> Isle of Dogs. See? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> I'm not sure what you're... I wasn't saying you were lying. You see what this heat has done to us? Shall I come back after the podcast? Is this this a bad time? No, I think we need a moderator. (laughs) Okay. A witness. In case things get out of hand. (laughs) All right. Memories, thoughts, fond... uh, What sits by way of introduction? Anyone regarding this film? 
No. Uh, no. <laughs> it's, clearly a, it's clearly a favourite across the board. I'm too busy sweating. Come on, Ben, give me You're a break. Too hot for the film. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's an it's an amazing film. I remember chuckling away at the cinemas when I first saw it. But it's also a film that did quite well on the festival circuit as well because uh, a lot of talent worked on it. And it was great seeing that talent at Cardiff Animation Festival. We had them over at MAF and uh, we saw them at Fantosh as well. Um, and seeing the kind of behind the scenes uh, making of the film, because it it's another one of those beautifully detailed stop motion films that we love so much here. It is, and it felt sort of, um, there was a bit of national pride, which isn't a concept I, I really indulge very much, especially these days. Yeah. Um, but being made, you know, relatively locally, um, and a lot of people uh, that actually sort of knew at this point working on it, which was kind of different, I would say, to say, well, Fantastic Mr. Fox, I suppose, would be an obvious like comparison to draw. Um it was a little before, I think, my generation's time. We hadn't quite hit the animation scene mm. in full force yet. Um, I see that I had nothing to do with this film. Uh, I remain just a fan of it. But uh, we actually did a pretty substantial podcast on this film already in terms of talking to people involved. I think it's episode 80. Um, and we took uh, a recording of the panel that I hosted at the Cardiff Animation Festival talking to Kerry Dyer and uh, Kim Kikuleri and uh, which brother was it? Was it Josh? One of the sculpt double brothers who worked on the film. Just name them both what, and then you've got... One of the, one of the Flynn's. Yeah. Um, and that was a really great, um, that was a really great uh, chat. We had to lop out some of it because a lot of it was very visual. Um, but, you know, I was able to preserve quite a bit of the audio for a podcast. And then you also talked to Tim Allen, who worked on this quite a bit, didn't you? Mm, you did. Did I? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You def- I, I'm pretty sure I remember editing it and putting the podcast together. So no memory of that. We s- okay. Well... <laughs> It's apparently so hot that I'm just inventing memories of things. Um, I think my brain is just melting. Sorry, Tim. So, uh, we've just had the plot explained to us. Isle of Dogs is about an Isle of Dogs, surprisingly enough. We've, uh, there's, a, there's a trash island where all the dogs have been sent because of uh, canine flu, which has taken over, over Japan. And there's a, a mayor who hates... Is that a mayor? Is he a mayor in this? Who hates... Um, yeah. He hates dogs, and so obviously they've all been taken to Trash Island. And we've Very um, current affairsy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I found that. I don't know if you guys have found that. Um, myself and, uh, and, and my wife, uh, Jen, we've been watching more films and or TV series. And we found that whenever like somebody's wearing a mask or something like that, we're like, oop, oop. Or, you know, it's a film about a disease. We're like, oop, oop, very topical. Oop. <laughs> you know, and uh, I think it's, you see a lot more of it because, uh, because of what's going on around us. Who do you think this film is aimed at? Is it aimed at children? No, no so. it was PG-13 when it was released, so it's not really aimed at. I would say it's not aimed at that age group. 
I think there's a there's some sort of uncompromising visual themes that come up up through it, and um, the dog on dog violence and the human on dog violence. Um, that's kind of a rough sell, I imagine. Too. Yeah, but then you've got like you know, um, Watership Down, and that has a lot of violence in it, and that's aimed at children. It's not both as a book. It's, is it not? It's not aimed at. Isn't it? But isn't it a children's book? Well, yeah, but one of those, that's one of the things is, obviously when it was written as a book, you're supposed to, you read it to kids and kids are supposed to have a thicker skin. We've had this conversation before and Ben's always yeah. turns around and says, ah, let them have it. Let them, <laughs> you know, they've got to toughen them up. Um, What's the age rating on Watership Down then? Because most people I know saw it as a child. Well, I think a lot of people did. I think it's one of those films that kind of classically slipped through the cracks of, like, maybe being for young adults or older audiences and then because it's a film about bunnies you know parents with very good intentions would pick it up at the video rental store and be like ah this will shut them up for an hour or so well it's it's uh, shut them up it did it traumatized them into (laughs) perpetual silence being vegetarians it's pg so um yeah so it's for children then oh i wouldn't say so there are films that are pg that would bore the hell out of kids so, but I mean, like, it's accessible for children, then. Oh, yeah, but not, like, lily-livered children. <laughs> Meh. <laughs> well, I, know, I mean, what's coming up here, we've got the two uh, packs of dogs facing off, and they're about to get into a scrap. And it's a pretty cartoony scrap. Like, when you think of the... Tr- like, basically, they go into this big cotton ball cloud, as you would see in a Hanna-Barbera thing, like an episode of Top Gat Cat mm. or something like that. Um... And um, so it's not super light. But then when they come out of the cartoony <laughs> cloud, there, there it is. <laughs> they're in a pr- they're in pretty bad shape. Yeah, like he's just okay. He's just ripped his ear off. So <laughs> he, it, he pokes so his head up. Yeah, you know it doesn't. It never struck me as particularly violent. No, even though it obviously is more so the bit where the little pilot gets the thing jammed in his head. That's more violent i guess yeah so i remember when this film came out it was just after i'd finished my film and i remember there being that one scene in fantastic mr fox where there's a big like mushroom cloud explosion and watching that scene over and over and over again frame by frame because i had i wanted to do something similar in my film it's boris norris and we yeah and so we were doing like a big fake cotton ball explosion and then this film came out and there's literally a cotton ball explosion every five bloody minutes <laughs> i was like oh, oh christ yeah but that's <laughs> it always made my good. life so much easier <laughs> if i could have seen this um rather than have to freeze frame the same eight frames i always say it's a marker times. it's a marker quality though i mean any stop motion film that uses cotton wall for smoke <laughs> is you know if it's coming out of the ears it's coming out of kettles if it's a big fight uh, yeah, perfect. I think you also put cartoon stars in yours as well, didn't you, Laura? Yeah. So there you go. You've, it's a step up. Don't worry about it. <laughs> what um, what other film was coming out at this time? Was it Kubo? No, that had come and gone, I think. This was like early 2018, I think this came out. So was there another stop motion film out at the time? Because they always seemed to come in waves. It was released in the year of the dog, 2018. Oh, the early man, maybe? Uh, okay. Was that 2018? Do you remember there being quite a lot of, like, 
or like there being a couple of reports about how it was um what's the term like it was bad that Wes Anderson was directing a film about uh Asian so you're talking about the cultural appropriation that's the thing yeah do you remember that I do yeah there was um there's a lot of criticism obviously leveled but it was really weird because like they clearly just hadn't read much about the film because <laughs> it has it's co-directed by someone. Yeah. And he he did put in a lot of effort to get a lot of people to be uh consultants on it from a cultural point of view. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't glibly um like if you can plan on anyone to research the crap out of something it's Wes Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. But it's an interesting conversation point. I mean, it's one that's very much you know, it's it's very much on te social medias these days. But I don't remember is... there being anything similar with Kubo, which had come out previously and also is an Asian storyline. Oh. No, I don't remember anything. So I just found that stranger. About that. Really. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah, I mean, you know, these the, the conversations come up. It it, it it isn't a constant thing. That's what we're kind of learning, I think, is there are these swells of movement in certain directions that are kind of, I think, steered by the news and to a certain degree. Um, but then just sort of social media kind of trends and people's, I think, alertness to what they consider to be cultural sensitivity or insensitivity. It, it sort of comes in and out of focus. Uh, I would say observationally. Right now, I think it's very much keenly in focus. People are analyzing things in a way that's quite different, actually, to how they analyze things not even that long ago, two years ago. I think around the time this film came out, and I'm pretty sure we do talk about it in the same episode, was when The Simpsons was catching heat because of a poo. Mm. Um and now a lot of stuff is kind of catching similar heat. I, you know, the thing we saw last night about the lady in Big Mouth who's, you know, declared that she's going to... to Not play Missy anymore. Yeah, give her character to a different actor. The, her phrasing was a bit patronizing, but I think probably the intent was sort of good. Like, you know, I kind of took this role without thinking. There was nothing about the role that played up to any stereotypes or put on an accent or anything like one could say level against Apu, the performance of that character. But I guess on principle, it was just something that she felt ill at ease with. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe around the time Kubo came out, I, I have to say other than Travis Knight, I, I don't really recall many of the key players in, on the creative team on Kubo. Um, so I'm just not really sure whether that's the the circumstances of that film coming together would have seen it in you know people's sights in that way. But. I love the level of detail that's put into his films, like just the the nonsense things that are really beautiful to see, but like are so ridiculous. Like I'm, I have the art of book, and I'm looking at a page that's explaining the color and pattern system for the trash bags, mm. as if that is anything anyone would ever notice. So apparently there are rainbow trash bags, maybe they didn't make them into the final film, that were meant to be used, and it, it distinctly says, for use in amusement park only. 
<laughs> and there's only like isn't the amusement park like one of the f- eight zones they go through to get to the fingers that uh well you know now that we know they're there maybe we'll spot i'm them. gonna look for them well i mean the level of detail i think they get used as flags oh look there they are you do get to see them but it's just not mental to me that they made because I love oh, the trick. They're tri- actually in a skip, so yeah. you can barely see them. They're and sort I, of poking out. They of come like out a of that skip later on, but I, I just, I've always loved the, um, the like asterisk type star that's on the garbage from the mainland, and like, yeah, I just love the patterns and the, the detail that goes into all the costumes and the scale of all of that. Um, it's such a craft-heavy textural film. Yeah. which is really nice and especially I think in the time it was coming out it was very at odds with everything else that we'd been seeing seeing for a while mm. where everything was like very uh, clean and kind of almost sterile yeah. because everything was smooth and it had either been made of silicon or 3D printing or you know made to look fleshy rather than fluffy or textured or out of paper and when they're in this film when they want to use paper or something is paper they just use paper Mm. you know they don't fabricate something to make it look like paper they just make it paper which i quite enjoy (laughs) and i look at the uh walls of the hospital now that have the medical plus sign that's great yeah (laughs) just the ridiculous and also the fact that there was these like they chose a completely different style for the news? Yeah, it resembles a, a, a manga uh, comic, doesn't it? Yeah, like comic book art in general. Mm. But there's also... Because um, if you think of like Fantastic Mr. Fox, there's news scenes and that as well, but that's just, you know, co- uh, composited in scenes of stop motion. So it's not exactly the same even as Fantastic Mr. Fox, which obviously is going to be its primary comparison. these little flashbacks I also like the kind of slightly lower amount of replacements there are so that you can still see that there's a bit of a flicker of replacement yeah yeah it's not overt but it is there but I think also you can get away with it because you know he's notoriously everything he does is very very still which is kind of like the opposite of what you want to do as an animator generally well, that's something I, mean, I found it so striking when Fantastic Mr. Fox came out and seeing the first trailer it really made an impression on me because, you know, it was, it was a long time ago now, but I, I think I was still studying animation at the time and finding it a little bit confusing because I'm like, is this good animation? <laughs> like, I remember the, the stiltedness yeah. of it was so against what... Because you saw stop motion so rarely... Um, that it felt like you would only ever see a stilted stop-motion performance if there were real, like, budget issues or things like that. And the trailer, I think, didn't really do the movie as a whole a particularly good service. And I think once you're in the movie, of course, it's the reality of the film and you're quite quickly sold on it. Mm. Um, But yeah, by all accounts, animating on the film was a bit of a learning curve... Or rather, an unlearning curve. There's a kind of restraint factor that they all had to kind of a restraint factor. But also, what was quite weird. Apparently, he would just let the like 
they would do a shot and then he'd come in and go oh that's great but could you just do it again and it'd be like any notes like maybe slight notes but they'd have they'd redo shots over and over again which is just not something you do in stop motion ever yeah like if it's good and it hits all the beats and it's you know nothing fell over you don't reshoot it like you generally have one go at a thing maybe two if you're lucky like one with blocking but apparently he just let them shoot or would ask them to shoot things multiple times which is like a live action shot would and i think maybe he not struggles or doesn't comprehend but maybe there's just that kind of slight division from someone that predominantly does live action films and then occasionally comes into stop motion and just like just they're like what that's so unheard of <laughs> but you know he has the money so why not but I imagine also quite frustrating as an animator if you've done this beautiful shot and you think it looks great and then he's like, yeah, I mean, it, I like it. I mean, it's good. I mean, you did exactly what I asked you, but could you do it slightly differently yet not move anything? That would be great. It is, it is nice to see when you have a, uh, you know, it, like you said, it usually comes out, uh, it's like Fantastic Mr. Fox came out at the same time as uh, you know, they all come out at the same time, these stop-motion films, and it's nice to see a variety of stop-motion films uh, that hit cinemas. So if you have um, Isle of Dogs, you've got that at the same time as... What came out at the same time? Did we decide? Missing Link, was it? Yes. No. No. I think Missing Link was last year. Yeah, Missing Link I think was it was Early Man. Year. Early man. Early man, right, okay. I think I think in a hypothetical 2018, it would have been the triumvirate of Isle of Dogs, Early Man, and Chuck Steele. Yeah, it should have been. And um, that triumvirate turned into a... Because that was what um, everyone diptych. was working on. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was how... Yeah, that was the kind of... That being split. the main thing that I always notice is because there's always, like, loads and loads of films that came up at the same time because there's no one to work on anything. Yeah. yeah. Else, because they're all on features. I'm looking at the, the Oscar list, and it, obviously it lost to... Uh, into the Spider-Verse which Mm. it was a good year it looked like an interesting year year. but interestingly enough Early Man's not there Um, so the only film that Nick Park's released that he's not been nominated for an Oscar (laughs) on Mm. Mm. was it not maybe a release date thing could it have been nominated the next year or did it just not get nominated I feel like it came out just after when that would have been the case. No, I've got the whole years. I've got the, the whole list here. And, and, and it didn't get nominated Early next Man year Early Man wasn't either. nominated okay. 2017, 2018, 2019. Oh, well, maybe Early Man too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but seeing oh, the different uh, styles is just, you know fantastic and you know Wes Anderson does deliver something that other stop motion directors I say Wes Anderson the stop motion director it's more like Tristan Oliver isn't it you know the people that are, yeah. are working on these films um, but he kind of shepherds the uh, the group to put together um, really well, unique his, films it'd be his predominantly his and with you know with Oliver's choices to make it this way like the, the fact that they have gone for fur which is a very uncommon choice Mm. Um, nowadays when everyone wants to be able to have complete control over everything Um, yeah you know that that's what sort of strike you know he clearly has a a fondness and an enjoyment for like proper 
fabric crafting and people being able to know that it's stop motion but there's so much control and all of the shots and so much amazing timing and it's not it's a different kind of humor timing which i think is also quite confusing because we're so used to the kind of like almost the uh aardman slapsticks type of comedy where although this is very stylized and very beautiful i do find especially watching it without sound i do find all the um the kind of like eh, eh, moving very quickly between movements and then a big pause and then another movement i find that quite funny yeah frantic uh, yeah it's kind of bouncy but without a lot of easing mm. or like extreming so would you like a fur fact yes uh, it was alpaca wool used for the dog's fur. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Was it, like, flocked? Uh, excuse me? <laughs> uh, flocked is, like, when they have, like, a soft medium that they sort of shove the hair into rather than it being, like, backed onto something. So, like, in Curse of the Were-Rabbit, it was, like, elastic teddy bear fur. Hmm. So it sort of is attached to a mesh. Where flocking, I'm not 100% sure how flocking works because I've never done it. Um, but it, if you think of like uh, the reindeer, reindeer film from um, Rankin and Bass, that yes. kind of, and sometimes on like really cheap, uh, nasty Christmas toys, they have that kind of weird, itchy fur. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like That's blasted flocking. onto it, sort of. Yeah. It's like powder coating, but with fur. Mm. For I, want of a better description. I can't give you an answer to that. <laughs> we, we sh- should somebody text uh, our friend who worked on it. Yeah. Might be in the book. I'll go have a look. I've, okay. I've got the script book in front of me. It's not helping me at all. <laughs> I mean, it's good for subtitles, but uh, apart from that, um, yeah. yeah. We were talking about um, good art of books in the last episode. This is a pretty uh, this is nicely done one. The Wes Anderson books in general are fantastic. Fantastic Mr. Fox art of book is the best art of book in the world. Really? Yes. Mm. I will fight anyone on that. I would say uh, that you're wrong, but then I'd run because I don't want you to fight me. But I would say that the Cloudy the Chance of Meatballs is a good one. A very good mm. one. Yeah, but Fantastic Mr. Fox is a better film. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, And fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Um there's only one way to settle this. You've got to put those two up against one another for a squiggly film club. <laughs> <laughs> I know which will win. Well, Fantastic Mr. Fox has already lost, so... <laughs> <laughs> maybe that should be one of... We really need some CG films, so maybe we should put Cloudy Oh, absolutely. Something. One day we're going to have to definitely do that. I just keep looking at the film and it is that case of, you know, every every frame a painting, every frame a, a, a work of art. The the framing is absolutely gorgeous, the way that you'd mentioned earlier on that, that detail. Is, here comes another explosion for you. Ah, oh, beautiful. <laughs> Very satisfying. Yeah. So, yeah, um... I was going to say there. I'm just. I keep getting mesmerised by the film. Art of books. Right. Let's let's settle this. Um, we did the worst art of books last week, didn't we? We said it was um, Inside Out. Toy Story. 
Toy Story 1. Oh, yeah, you had that Toy Story one as well. I've got that one, but I've not picked it up for, for ages, which probably is a signifier of quality, I would say. The One of the worst animation books that we... I think we've given it away at a squiggly quiz once was that Simpsons book, which was Simpsons... I'm just going to check my shelf to see if I've got it here. <laughs> Couldn't pass with it. It's just so awful. I, I just like having it as an example of just, yeah. Which there would have been a fair few, I think, of Simpsons books that aren't essential reading, I would say. I can't find it, but I can't find it, but I think it was called Simpsons of Family History. And it was, now, it was a big, oh, thick tome, yeah. but it was just filled with lazy screenshots of of the work taken from VHS probably like somebody had gone through their Simpsons DVDs with a digital camera press pause taking a picture and then coupled it with a not funny phrase like a greetings card phrase and it was just so awful um yeah I've got rid of it which is good either that or it's in the box for the squiggly quiz prizes at the next time we do that yeah, I guess things get to a point where they just know they can slap the logo on it and someone will buy it. Yeah. Well, yeah I, I think it's, it's good for, like, Christmas, like, you know, coffee table book type thing or, you know, novelty book things. People do snap up a lot of you know, garbage yeah. literature. Uh, how many copies of Flanimals pinged across the country like ping pong when those came out, <laughs> like everyone just buying them for everyone and then giving them to Oxfam. I never got one. I'm lucky. Uh, you sidestepped that that cultural <laughs> <laughs> embarrassment. I don't even mind him. I think he's all right, but like, there was no reason. There, he was. He had no place making books. You know. But you know, if something's big enough, people will buy it without being too discerning about it. And I think that... Like, when I was a kid, you could get a pretty decent Simpsons book. They'd be, like, um... Uh... I mean, they were for kids, though. They, they were, you know... They knew what their audience was, and they were kind of extracting the elements of the show that kids liked the most, and, you know, they were quite effective, but... Um... I've got that Simpsons World book as well. That's incredible. But seasons 1 to 20... And it's every it's full of facts and details and quotes from every single episode and behind the scenes stuff. Uh, so it was, mm. I think it was called Simpsons World, and then they re-released it. So every couple of seasons they'd re-release the book and it got thicker and thicker and thicker until I've got this <laughs> like uh, season twenty really uh, really thick book, which has got uh, all the episodes of the Simpsons. Well, first twenty seasons at least. Uh, in there, and that is an absolutely amazing uh, book in terms of it's everything a big Simpsons geek would uh, could possibly wish for. You know, like episode guide type thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, episode guides. Yeah. I should just use that, but you know, we've got time to kill on this podcast, so I thought I'd over-explain it. <laughs> yeah, you know, if it's got like trivia and stuff, people like that. Um, you know, that's, I think an art of book. There's so much potential to mine the production for factoids and interesting little tidbits. And when they kind of don't, when they kind of 
you know, or for whatever reason they're encouraged not to, then it is sort of a waste, I think. Mm. Mm. I mean, it's great to see the art, but I think that a bit of copy is... There seems to be like this weird balance between art of books being basically just all the concept art. Yeah. And, or all the concept art and then maybe some storyboards and then like the final shots in, in as they see in the film and then properly good insightful insight into how the film was made and I think that's why I just generally I have a one of the best uh, like we said last week Monsters Inc is one of the is a really good CG one um, also Ratatouille I really like as well because yeah. the, the art for the for food in general was very good and they had maquettes, proper clay maquettes that they made, and those are quite nice to see. But I think stop motion has an advantage of, like, there's just so much stuff. Mm. And there's so much trial and error that goes into everything they do um, that there's just a wealth of stuff you could tap into. And I, I always find it interesting how they organize the book, like how they choose sometimes, you know, if it's like um, in uh, the Missing Link book, for example, they chose to sort of like represent it by the fact that he was on a journey so they sort of did it rather than going necessarily by character or going characters sets whatever they did it by the worlds they inhabit mm. so the fact that they go like london and then um spain or france i forget which one but um and then all the way up to like where they find the yetis and stuff um i also really like the paranorman art of book that's a really nice one because that's still very early doors of them developing their technology yeah and although there's not lots and lots about it i mean there's more than most but there was just a lot in paranorman to really like um and celebrate in terms of making and it was one of the films like after Coraline, i felt you really still felt like you were in a stop motion properly stop motion world and it still felt very much like a puppet I remember the the first Paranorman trailer coming out and me thinking it was a CG film. Mm-hmm. I, I I I think I, I watched it on my phone or something, so it's quite small. But I thought it was a CG film. It was that well done. I'd never seen anything in that kind of style or detail. I think it was the faces that really made me think that it was a a CG film, which is they were CG, but they looked so beautifully rendered. Mm. Sometimes they'll show them on like an SD channel. And at that point, at that sort of like lower resolution, it's very hard to kind of tell it apart, mm. I think. I think because of the hair in Paranormal is what you can... And the uh, sets and the textures, that's the only reason why you can really occasionally pull. And the lighting, I guess, and the way it reacts on materials, which at that point in time was still not that achievable in CG. Like, it was, but it took it just wasn't as... Uh, prevalent as it is now now I think it's very hard to tell hmm. but if you bear in mind when it came out that that, that is you know like that scene that quite a lot of people bring up is that scene where Paranorman's being lit beh- from behind and you can see the uh, light going through his ears I don't think hmm. that's something that would have occurred to people to do in CG because it wouldn't have happened so you would have had to specifically have gone in to make that happen. I just don't think you would do it because you wouldn't do it on live action either. If if that because that's something that would happen if a, if an actor had big ears. But uh, yeah, I mean, norm- you'd have to have extraordinary ears for an actor. Well, it does happen, but they normally put tape behind it to stop it from happening because they don't actually want it to happen. Yeah, most of the time. 
Um, but it's quite a nice thing in that film because he is so stylized and lighting is very important because everything in the film is pretty much set at like twilight or mm. like at the golden hour. And so there's, because it's a kind of Halloween-y themed film, so there's a lot of oranges and purples and greens, like dark greens. Tracy is possibly the most amazing puppet in this film. It's a great uh, case to be made for watching this in as high definition as possible. To share, out of respect, I think, share respect to the poor people who had to keep those freckles consistent. Oh, yeah. yeah, Jesus. How many were there? Like 72 or something ridiculous? Or 150 something? There was a, it was a ridiculous number. It's in the other podcast. So Ooh, it's repla- gonna- so obviously it's replacement faces. So yeah. when uh, Tracy was chewing bubblegum there and her lips were moving and it looked like the freckles were moving across, this isn't like they didn't re- uh, they didn't three D print the uh, freckles onto the onto the uh, mold or, or whatever you want to call it the replacement. Yeah, they they had to paint the freckles. And judge it by eye. Yeah. As well. Incredible work. But, I mean, that's what how everything used to be done. <laughs> so, mm. um, I mean, not just... Like, I think that's amazing, but it's also my preference, I think, personally. But they also would give a character, like, three freckles. Yes, yeah, they wouldn't <laughs> be, like, masochists about it. <laughs> they'll be like, ah, oh, she could have a mole. <laughs> Maybe. I in love- sub-scenes. I love the grass in here. Is this going to have like that wind thing that happens in it when they do, you know, like you see in the real world, <laughs> like a breeze goes through the grass and it goes. Why do this thing? Because they did that with like a straw, like incrementally. Oh, I, yeah. I just really, I mean, I love that when that happens in real life, that seems magical to me when that happens in reality. <laughs> so <laughs> to be able to replicate, there's certain things that I just never thought I'd be able to see in animation. I never thought I'd see like grass blowing in the wind in that kind of like ripple effect. And I never thought I'd be able to see like a convincing swarm of swallows. <laughs> You know that kind of weird undulating thing that swallows yeah. do, which I just find mesmerizing. There's a word for it, I think. I can't think of it is, but I know what you mean. And yeah. Yet, and yet talking dogs is just meh. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they they only have one jaw. It's fine. Yeah, it's hinge. <laughs> it, it's, I think I always really like in stop motion specifically when things are done like that are really mechanical, which just seems at odds. But there's a lot of sections in this that are like perfectly... Uh, symmetrical and smoothly animated things that are like when you know when you see humans do things that are like almost mechanical like the scene in this with the sushi i just is just the best thing i've ever seen Hmm. it's it's a very satisfying but there's There's something really satisfying yeah we go (laughs) but no it's more like i think it's a long shot isn't it where you get to see like the whole ripple but what's the wasn't there something last week where we were talking about that? It's when things just happen mechanically in a row. Mm. Uh, oh, oh. oh, like machinery. Automation. Like when yeah, stuff that's automated I really enjoy seeing in stop motion because it's that fact of, like, you know, that I think it, I think it because it sort of breaks down into maths is why I like it. <laughs> I don't know. Probably because you know that it someone... wasn't automated and you know that somebody suffered to make it look like it was automated. <laughs> yes. And it's like, like sometimes... Um, uh, Laura, I can't say her last name. Toffredis, 
Yeah. Laura Toffredi's I always want to call her Toffee um, <laughs> uh, because I'm dyslexic and I can't read um, she's sort of posted pictures of when they've done like uh, manual camera moves with like a hand crank and you mark it all out and I really find that very satisfying yeah. like the idea that you'd have had to sit down and think okay like I need to divide this by this many shots and yeah. and it not just be done in a computer I really enjoy I think that was a nice thing about about the release of Isle of Dogs as well was that you had the VR stop motion. Oh, it's not VR because it's not it's a three sixty film, but you had that that accompanied it as well. Do you remember that? I don't think I ever knew that actually. Oh right, well now you do. There was. <laughs> yeah. So what it was is it was a, um, I think it was a like a behind the scenes making of. Uh, so they'd interviewed. Uh, the stars of the of the film, and what they did then is they got animators to animate the uh, film actors talking. These are the best dogs, by the way, in the film. <laughs> yeah, is it Jupiter and Oracle, the pug and yeah. the, and the um, yeah. Saint Bernard or Saint Bernard? And they were designed by um, Scott Double. Mm. So the behind the scenes thing had so it's like Bill Murray talking about his character as his character. But you can. Oh, s- but, if wow, you turn, okay. but if you turn around, you can see the animators. The animators moving the puppets at uh-huh. in that. So, like at the end of uh, Box Trolls, that type of thing. Oh, that's cool. Uh, which is now the reference point. The end of Box Trolls is always the reference yeah. point. Um, I was watching. Was it rebooted as part of the Annecy package earlier on? I was like, oh, it's at the end of Box Trolls. Um, yeah, I put up a, a post uh, like a year ago because I was writing a paper about. Uh, making ofs and films that sort of use that as a story mm. arc or like a story device and like I was like does anyone have any suggestions for films that I might have missed and then like five people were like have you seen the end of Bookshop I'm like yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more like things that existed before I was born but yes Basically, thank you it's <laughs> the good thing about the 360 thing is you could actually you you recognize people and we'd recognize people so you'd see like you know um oh that's that's tim that's kerry you know people jumping in and out of the back of the shots and stuff um and you see the little like the tools moving around on the desk uh and the you know the laptop moving and people's shirts changing because it's obviously filmed on different days as well um so yeah, you don't know whether you want to spend time watching the actual actor speaking or you want to watch the animator and look at all the stuff that's on the shelves. Definitely the animator. Yeah. <laughs> Could give less of a shit about the actor. <laughs> I, something I didn't notice until I was reading the Art of book is that when you have the lab, the um, lab people, so the scientists, their lab coats are designed like kimonos as well. <laughs> which I've found entertaining and there's a thing in the book that says about um how it was like tied wrongly and they thought it was purposeful uh, because you only tie a kimono the other way if someone's dead and obviously that character dies and oh. so they thought it was like foreshadowing but it wasn't it was just a mistake <laughs> which uh feels weird in a i feel like it was purposeful i'm gonna decide it's purpose they should have just rolled with it yeah well, especially if they're kind of you know, fighting the narrative that they did their research. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's such a minor thing, isn't it? There's so many, like, tiny, tiny things that you just wouldn't even think of. Which is why I, I never 
touch other cultures because I'm like, I'll definitely get it wrong. So I'm just going to not do that. That's a healthier impulse, I suppose, if you suspect that there are going to be limitations or it's going to be a hard thing to kind of do something respectfully to step away from it. Given that it does seem that the status quo in filmmaking and entertainment is to just barrel, barrel one's way into it. Um, yeah, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do a version and of this, hire, thank you very much. And hire like a cultural, um, what's the word? Like supervisor after. Advisor, yeah. <laughs> For to the explain away your terrible decisions. I saw some criticism leveled at um, the Glen Keane film that was announced this week as well. Mm. In very much the same way because it's set it's you know um Glen Keane is an elderly white man, and this film is isn't is an elderly white American, and the film isn't set in his world. How dare he well, there is a piece up on Squiggly that kind of goes into the background, yeah, in brief, and he was sought out, yeah, um like it was it was a group of people who developed the idea. Um, hey, all the dogs. That it, it was culturally a very important story to them, or certainly its roots were, and um, they met him at Annecy and kind of figured they'd try their luck because you know he's a big name, or he's certainly sort of well respected. So that was definitely them kind of making the overture. I think perhaps the screenwriter might have also been um, Western, but she passed away right after she wrote the script. Oh. Um, so, uh, don't actually have a point to that. It's just something I remembered. Um, so I guess, you know, it's it's kind of a, a collaborative thing, I suppose. But I can understand why yeah, the sort of, the, the if the main association is Glenn Keane has a new film and um, it's going to be about, you know, a culture that's completely different to what he grew up with that might have people scrunching up their noses a bit. It's a difficult one because it really does come down to whether they did their research. Because not that long ago, I mean, obviously the ideal thing would be that the people people tell their own stories from their own culture. But whilst we're still figuring that out, you know, there are a lot of people that have a lot of skill sets because they've been around for a long time. And if they want to talk, do a story about another culture as I think as, as long as they're doing the research appropriately and if they do get things wrong they apologise and they try to make amends for it you know the alternative thing is that we only hear a, and this is my least favourite thing to happen is that we just hear loads of white men tell stories about being how hard it is to be a white man which is why I don't like that guy's films because that's all he seems to make yeah. Kaufman mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> There's yeah, just being sort of um, the, the trials and tribulations of being white and um, male. Um, like a p- perfectly wealthy white male. Oh, it's so hard. Or just kind of a mediocre white male. Yeah. Like, I think that kind of, that's sort of what he tends to kind of that's circle around. That's all of around. his films. Yeah. And they I get could more do depressing as I get older, I think. Because, because you become an older white man. Yeah, I think it's the notion that, like, I think the one that's hardest to watch is probably... Um, Eternal Sunshine, because as a guy in his early 20s, when that film came out, it was like, oh, this seems, this really feels, you know, familiar, like the sort of the the patterns that we find ourselves in, the relationships that I would embark on. And then you watch that film and they're meant to be like my age now. 
and they're still in this kind of destructive pattern. It's like, oh, that's actually... Depressing on its own. Yeah. Looks good, though. I still enjoy the production. But yeah, yeah. I mean, a film can look good and narratively not do anything for you. But if it's... Not enough vamping from Carrie. But I guess if it's like... If you were watching that and you found it properly offensive, that's where in lies the problem. Right. I think he... Mm. So, when Netflix asked Glenn Keane to direct the film, it's not Glenn Keane's fault. <laughs> um, you know, they came up to him with a job. And I think from a kind of point of view where we are with... It's, it's bad timing. Animated films take so, so long to make and everything. But they were probably thinking a safe pair of hands more than anything else. And an, uh, a recognisable name. And you'd, you'd hope that in future that... It shouldn't have to happen this way, but that that would o- o- maybe open a door and maybe let people consider some unknown directors or some directors that we know from the short festival circuit or even the feature festival feature circuit that films that are shown around festivals to be given uh, more uh, control and more. You know, w- what I'm basically saying is why when will people start trusting unknowns with films? And maybe not even unknowns. I mean, I'm sure. It, it, you know, I don't want to necessarily, you know, whittle on Glenn Keane. He did nothing to me. <laughs> but I'm sure there may have been plenty of directors that um, might have been at Annecy that would have been perfectly suited to the position um, that are more of a cultural fit, perhaps, and that those perspectives might have helped the film. Hmm. Um, but you know, for whatever reason, they, there was a talk he had done. I think oh, that particularly we're going inspired. Crash bags now. Ah, here we go. Colorful bin liners. There um, you go. See rainbow bags. So it was um, Peelin Chow, I think, is the name of the uh, producer of the film, and so she was the one who kind of made the big overture to Glenn Keane to kind of get him on board. Hmm. Um, the thing also was kind of. Slightly odd, I suppose, is that you think of Glenn Keane, you think of meticulous, gorgeous 2D animation. Yeah. Probably kind of in a sketchy style, you know? Yeah. Um, well, it certainly is more recent stuff. Um, and so this is a film that isn't really that, it's CG. Mm. So, you know, it, it doesn't. It, you wouldn't look at a still from it and be like, oh, clearly this is a Glenn Keane film. Um, maybe there was appeal, you know, to him from that side of things. Um. So, uh, we were talking about this film's crimes as well earlier on, weren't we, to... <laughs> The, um, everyone's just getting it wrong. Everyone's getting it wrong. But I think the 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 reason that this particular film got it in the neck as well was because it uses the white saviour archetype. But it's interesting oh, about yeah. yeah, it's interesting about that is that there were there were people who were actually defending the fact you know that that by the time that that happens, it's it's okay to use that. That there's there's a a, a series of explanations and, and rational ways to rationalise it and to say that it's not rational, you know. Um, but also, at least she's a woman. There you go. There you go. 
Well, then I was getting, I was hearing, like, kind of complaints of, like, why does she have to have a crush on the boy? Because that was, in of itself, another, like, tired trope. Yeah. Mm. Well. So there's, you know, whichever way you look. <laughs> you can have a problem with anything if you try hard enough, really. Well, I think certainly with Wes Anderson films, there's a lot of stuff in there that's kind of purposefully a little bit problematic. It's sort of on the, the knife edge. I don't think it's because he's a problematic person. I think it's because he finds scenarios that are uncomfortable quite appealing when sprinkled into a film. Yeah. There are things that happen a lot in his films that are kind of disruptive and cannot, can kind of take the charm away a bit. Like the, the, There's a superficial warmth and charm to a lot of his films. They kind of lull you in a bit. And then someone you really like just dies horribly mm. or unfairly. Um, and I think that that's kind of... Or someone gets you know, horribly beaten up or, you know... It's it's lots of little unfairnesses and um, vaguely kind of troubling situations. Um, and then you're off again on some kind of madcap set piece of, you know curious, bizarre filmmaking or, um, you know, unique old-school approaches to set building and things like that. Mm. And so it's kind of like it's it's testing your suspension of disbelief a bit. Uh, but I think certainly, you know, I, if I remember right, one of his films is about a guy with Munchausen syndrome, or he's, pre- no, he's pretending, I think, that he's dying to get his family to like him. Like, things like that kind of not really okay things and are you meant to warm to this character are you meant to um forgive him or are you meant to hate him and everything's kind of ambivalent Mm. or ambiguous one of the ams (laughs) oh i love this reveal as well cleaning up um the fur (laughs) Because I don't know, did it occur to you at all before this moment that Not it wasn't all, his no. fur colour? No, no. Basically, he just cleaned up the black dog and it turns out he was um, related to the other dog the whole time. <laughs> I don't think you find that out yet, do you? Oh, there's, I, yeah. I think they could just be the same sort of, breed. Yeah. But then you find out later that they're part of the same litter. Yeah. God, spoilers. <laughs> Sorry. You talking about details oh. earlier on. Just the fact that it's set in a trash yard, or an island full of trash, rather, gives you this perfect opportunity for him to pick whatever colours he wants for the background. So we've yeah, got these nice yeah. blues and uh, so sort of baby blues and and pinks uh, mixed in with sort of mucky whites, and it's yeah, it's really nice. That is, I mean, to be honest, that is the main attraction for me to uh, Wes Anderson films is just the colour work Yeah. often um, and that every shot has just a beautiful colour palette and an understanding of layout and even his live action work has always sort of been very graphically striking and has almost always seemed more like an animated film even though it's live action Yeah. because there's such consideration given to the layout and the framing of characters and he doesn't. Te- he does like very extreme close-ups, but he doesn't tend to do that many mid shots. 
He's like, like everyone else does. Yeah, and, and in this film particularly, they're all uh, filmed straight on. Every you know, so it's very kind of it's it's quite a flat film, but in a in a good in a nice in, way. In a nice way. There's no three quarters. There's there's it's a lot of symmetry as well, and mm. it's just it's so uh, pleasing on the eye, isn't it? Yeah, it's like um, filmic visual meditation. <laughs> it's like relaxing on your brain. It's for for people with OCD, they're like, oh yes, everything's there, lovely. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why I like it. She's <laughs> like, mmm, order. Even the mess is ordered. <laughs> He's very precise as well in his in his direction, apparently. is uh, I can't remember which talk it was. I saw him say that he was asking for stuff to be like 12% bigger. Yeah, yeah. There's a great um, sketch in the Fantasmus Fox art of book where he um, he's drawn um, the fox's son when he's he's wearing his swim trucks and it's just him drawing that and then like with a dotted line saying like can it be like five millimeter higher mm-hmm. <laughs> i was like yes <laughs> and you hear about all those things and you wonder whether or not he's just kind of winging directing an animated film <laughs> it's just like <laughs> what do i need to do they're all so talented and amazing how do i how what do can I-, I make them do next <laughs> i want everything to be blue now pink <laughs> go <laughs> Now, 12% more but, pink. Oh, factoid. So, the woman, the older woman, the auntie, mm-hmm. the woman who voices her also voices the twins, twin witches in Spirited Away. There you go. I've been waiting for that. Nice. Oh. Factoid. The, um, you need to make us a jingle for fa- film club <laughs> factoid. Like, Delete your uh, boob app from... <laughs> yeah, we, we can't use the boob app for everything. That, uh, use one of the more... Um, that would be Jaunty a good. Horns. That should be a thing. We should. I'll find a sound effect, and then we both have it. And then anytime we want to interrupt the conversation, we should just get bells. Horn. Just ring a bell yeah. or something, and so we all have to stop. Oh, when... I have the slide whistle. <laughs> that would be perfect. It's clangery. It's it's within reach. I don't have any more factoids now, though. Well, you can't blow uh, the whistle. Do you have the book? Laura, I've got a factoid for you that you can tell back to everybody. Ben, oh, no, I'll ben, do the noise and you tell the factoid. Listen. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> Ready? Yes. Right, okay. Go. So, this film won Best Motion Poster at the Golden Trailer Awards. Fuck oh. me. Yeah? That's a thing. <laughs> it made me laugh, so I wrote it down. They didn't make you laugh, guys. Laugh. If you're in the if you're in the motion poster industry, it's no laughing matter. I probably were very proud of that accolade. Oh, absolutely, the art, the posters and stuff like there was different. Obviously, like quite common is that other countries will do different poster designs, but they had some beautiful ones created for this, didn't they? Like, wasn't one of the ones that was create was created was done by the guy that did Akira. Oh, yeah? mm, I think so. Yes, yeah. Like the really big, beautiful one of like a dog with loads of dogs on its back. Yes, yeah. And then, and obviously they got lino uh, prints done of all the dogs for when they're doing the poster, ra- you know, the rally with the uh, kids back on the mainland. There's some really and beautiful, beautiful stuff. We gave away far too much of it for the squiggly quiz. We had loads of I little got some trinkets. Of it from, like the year after, I was so happy. Yeah. <laughs> Here, look. 
I've still got I've still got one of these script oh. books to put in as well, so that'll be in the next quiz. Do you remember all the dogs? Yeah, like the dog figurines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there was a lot a of fortune. graphic design that went into this. And also, isn't there that really beautiful like thing about like someone designed all these um, sea effects of waves and stuff? And it, they're really incredible. Like you can see them in the making of them, but they never even use them. Mm. <laughs> and they're just insane. Water being notoriously one of the hardest things to get right in animation. Mm. Especially in stop, stop motion. motion, yeah. And not to have done it CG. Which I'm always secretly disappointed when they do. Am I remembering right? Did. Kerry do the arrangement on the sort of main poster image. I have no idea. It comes with like the soundtrack cover and the DVDs and stuff. I don't know. I don't know why that would be in my head otherwise. You're just wishing well. What's the cover of this book? It's not that. It's an illustrated one. It's a nice cover though. Yeah, there's a bunch of Wes Addison films and um, art of books since Fantastic Mr. Fox and they all have these really nicely illustrated covers. Before, um, because there's like a series now, so there was like th- this book, The Grand Budapest Hotel, but before it, it was kind of like. That's just all like his one films. big one, yeah. Does that have a bit on Fantastic Mr. Fox? I don't know, maybe. I wonder if that incorporates the, uh, the older book. Probably not, because the older book's quite thick. Because it's as thick as this, it's just smaller size. Right. Um, and this is more set up as like, it's a load of interviews, which is really nice. I've not really. I mean, though that is kind of normal, I guess, but it, it's just a bit more contextualised, I think. Look at all the skies. <laughs> yeah, I do like those backlit skies. Lighting of fluff is really nice. <laughs> what I'm liking about this bit now is you can see the flea on the dog. Moving around. On oh scratch. yeah, it's really, really nice. I just, just I want the animators to know I've seen that. <laughs> Apparently, when they were like doing the fur and stuff, obviously when he, this come from when he was doing Fantastic Mr. Fox as well, he was sort of like they were like, you know, we just don't really do that. Um, but he liked it, and apparently in this they, I guess, had the same conversation, but they like the fact that the fact that they're constantly like moving a little bit sort of makes them seem itchy and flea bitten and mm. mangy well that with the light behind him and you can see yes yeah, such beautiful silhouette pick proof there's the there's the waves some waves there so amazing Do you have uh, favourite Wes Anderson films besides Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs? Uh, it's probably a toss-up between Grand Budapest Hotel and Moonrise Kingdom. Hmm. I really, I really didn't like him when I first started watching him. The first thing I ever saw was Darjeeling Limited, and I was like, "What is this?" I just found that hmm. very, very boring. Hmm. And then it took, I it took until Fantastic Mr. Fox for me to go, "Oh, I get it now." Like, I get what it is that I'm meant to be getting from this. Hmm. Um, I think it sort of helps to start with the animated films and work from there. Yeah, I think so. If you haven't really sort of been... 
Because there's also, I think, the directorial stamp of, like, just making every shot a complete work of art. That didn't really rear its head as much in some of his earlier films. Like, I think one of my favorites is probably Rushmore, but it's not super identifiable as a Wes Anderson film visually, hmm. story-wise mm. and tone-wise and dialogue-wise, yeah. But, I mean, um, it's probably his most famous one. Maybe, yeah. I think Like, probably, it's probably everyone's most popular one, because mostly got down to the music, I think. Yeah? As well. Okay. Is it because he's, like, the, that being the more the and more... That he does amazingly. Like, this soundtrack, it's hard because we obviously don't listen to this with the sound on, so we forget about it, but the soundtrack for this film is amazing. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. One of my saddest things, like, from a being a giant stop-motion nerd is that they've never released Fantastic Mr. Fox on vinyl, and that really pisses me off, mm-hmm. and I really want them to do it. Because that also has a, a really fantastic... Uh, soundtrack because I'm not really that keen on music generally. I'm not a big music person, but music has like oh, I'm sorry, I collect ben. mostly I'm really soundtracks because I <laughs> I can watch the film in my head. Mm. Huh? You're saying we've worked through it? <laughs> well, the fact that we did, yeah, we that's our big sticking point. Um, and then if I do like any songs, it's because I really like the lyrics and I feel like the song has a good story, and the music is kind of secondary. Oh, I've got a little fact for you. Uh, it's live whistle. Ready? Wait, wait. It's sort of... Um... Should I do it over here? Okay. Ready? Beautiful. Uh, Scrap was voiced by uh, Fisher Stevens. Now, if you really want to get your eyes on a problematic portrayal, look up a little film called Short Circuit. Oh. <laughs> and that's all, oh, all I will say yeah, on that subject. That's a sad one. Quite like him though. I think he mainly directs now, but uh, as a young man, probably didn't. Know was better. he in Friends? Yeah, he was. He was, he was in an episode of every show. He's one of those guys that's like, he was in Always Sunny, and I think he does like documentaries now. Um. Can you hear Steve? No. Okay, I think we may have lost Steve. 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 What's up? Okay, oh. no, you are still there. We thought we couldn't hear you. No, I was listening to the fact. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh no, he's dead. <laughs> oh, 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 dead? You went straight there. <laughs> <laughs> I killed him. <laughs> I killed him with science. <laughs> Skype Isle so of dogs peripheral character VO performance. <laughs> if Too anything awkward. was going to do him in. <laughs> oh, fire! That's another nice thing. I love practical fire. effects. Yeah, they're so nice. They're so much better than CG, which is a really bad thing to say. But they just are. Only if CG artists are listening. I mean, they just are. Sorry, they just really are. There's something far more satisfying about knowing the fire was made out of like cotton wool, mm. and like the water here is like made out of like it's great, isn't you know, it? like sheets of plastic or whatever it's just more satisfying i'm sorry it just is like i don't care if an explosion isn't hyper realistic i know it was an explosion that's all that matters yeah it's like um in a matter of loaf and death that bit always really like pushes me out of the story 
when the bomb goes off and it's just this massive CGI display. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. That really turns me off in that film. Yeah. Because it feels like it comes from nowhere. Yeah, there are a number of, uh, of things that are, are off-putting about that particular one. I mean, it's got lots of uh, lots to its credit, but... I really quite like that film. I just It's just that one aspect of it I find... And I find that one, and I I can't not find it. Um, it removes me from it. I think there's ways of using CGI in stop motion, uh, like you know, expanding sets and mm. and putting in fake characters for background characters that you're not going to even notice. They're just there to sort of make up crowds. That kind of thing I don't really mind. But something that's so you know, the visual effects is also kind of where stop motion came from. So it feels a bit wrong. Yeah. To in a stop motion film inject CG because I'm like, you're sort of using the author of its demise, <laughs> like or the thing it thought was the author. Is it feels like rubbing salt into the wound a bit. For me, it's certain performance. Yeah, for me, it's certain performance things in that film that that put me off. But I think, I I think we'll probably end up watching Curse of the Were Rabbit at some point. Um, probably. I think it'll win up against. I hope it'd win up against. Uh, most things that we put it up against, so Watership Down because they're both bunnies. Put it up against Watership Down. <laughs> put it up against Dot in Space again. Let's get that one out again. <laughs> oh, poor Dot. Well, she had a chance again and she failed. <laughs> the next, uh, no, the next round, we're going to do all ten Dot movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be up to the public vote. Yeah. Just put them in yeah, and put a knife in the gonna... middle of the room and set them all off. <laughs> It's all a conspiracy to keep Aaron off the podcast. Oh, it's the only thing I, he's ever I think ever Aaron's only interest, interest in. in being, like, having his voice heard was if he were going to talk about Dot and the Kangaroo. <laughs> and I don't blame him. It's a fine piece of Australian cinema. I think Aaron would probably come on for that, uh, that Titanic film with the mice. <laughs> <laughs> I'd really love to try and find a copy of $9.99, but I feel like that would be a hard one to do as a film club one. A, because neither of you have seen it, and I think you'd just be like, what the hell is going on? A copy of what? And $9.99. Right. It's a weird Australian uh, feature film. Sounds amazing. Yeah, it's stop motion. Okay. Um, but it's very unwell-known. Um, and... It doesn't seem to really exist. It's a bit like that Max and Co film. Right. Um, and it would be very hard to expect the audience to also try and find it somewhere. <laughs> this, yeah, this would be an interesting one. I've never heard of it. Yeah, it's a really odd one. Yeah, Maybe Jeffrey Rush. Maybe we should Rush. just do that for fun sometime. Yeah. Well, is this Let's not fun? Let's just talk to each other like, <laughs> as, as friends rather than just recording it like weirdos. <laughs> it feels a bit like we, we feel like we have to record everything we do in life in case one day we lose our memories. One day we'll have a real conversation. <laughs> one day we'll hang out as friends, but yeah. not today. <laughs> I think we spoke this to each other at each business. other's weddings without, um, <laughs> without recording it. Oh, Although there I was a photographer. I love Oracle so much. I really wish Oracle and the baby puppies are my favorite things. I really want one of the baby puppies. That would make my life if I could have one of the baby puppies in like a a matchstick box. Yeah. That's why I I'm trying to figure out how to make one because I just really love them. They're like little furry prawns. Yeah. They're like dog sea monkeys. 
They haven't appeared yet, have they? No, they're the best thing in the film. See, that owl was pretty amazing, though. The eyes. Yeah. It's similar, uh, like, with Kylie in Phantasm Mr. Fox, where... And that's such a great uh, sequence in that film as well, where it's where it's like, is anything I'm saying getting through and he just says, like, put up your arm if uh, if you're actually hearing me right now. And just spiral the eyes. You mentioned before the, the co-director, but was it a co-director or were they um, I didn't. a consultant or something? A writer? I don't know. I didn't bring it up. Oh, I thought you did. No, it was Steve. Passing the buck. <laughs> um, and I'm just trying to sort of find out who that person was. What is it? Is it a police? Is it an ambulance? Is it a f- fire truck? I think it's all. F- I think it's a fire truck. Oh drink wow! Up, folks. So what do we have to drink? Um, oh, neat vodka. Yeah. Oh. I want you to be blind by the end of the night. But I'm already. No I'm already drinking neat vodka. <laughs> oh yeah, it's all you have in, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you run out of things to make your drinks blue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These are all references to conversations we actually did have outside of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I can't drink in this heat. I, I think I'm slightly allergic to alcohol, so I just go. I just get really, really hot if I drink. So I think if I drink now, I may actually die, which is a shame. Yes. And uh, yeah, <laughs> don't drink. Whatever <laughs> yes. you do, whatever you do, don't yes, drink. The death would be sad. Yeah. <laughs> Very morbid podcast, this isn't it? <laughs> It's what I do. Oh, so we haven't had any, any uh, tragic factors. I don't think there are any. Of you know, the film's kind of tragic, I guess. Let's try and this find a, 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 a tragic factoid. Who died? Hmm. Oh, baby fo- baby, babies! Oh, Yay! That's not tragic. That's the opposite Look of tragic. Look at it! Look at it! It's like a little seal. Oh, it's the cutest thing in the world. The babies look like the dragon from Neverending Story. <laughs> they do! They look like <laughs> Falcor. Oh, I think that's why I like them so much. Oh... Do you ever find out about films that you loved as a kid that apparently, like, in their own... the countries of their origin are just, like, despised because they're nothing like <laughs> what they were meant to be? Like what, for example? Like The Neverending Story. Oh. Because The Neverending Story is based, I think, on a Danish storybook and apparently, like, the film was, like, nothing like the book and is really not liked in its own country ah right you know a, a or like German in the country I worked for once yeah really hated the movie and I'm like oh it's one of my favourite films 
And this was Yoko Ono, wasn't it? Yes, it was. She got the yeah. Y and the O on her um, uh, band. Her hair, yeah, hair bubbles. Yeah, like a weird Scrabble piece hair bands. Mm. But she she uh, obviously speaks fluent Japanese. But when the film was translated or um, what's the word? When somebody else does the voice dubbed uh, into yeah. into Japanese, they didn't get Yoko Ono to do it. <laughs> they got somebody oh. else. I'm trying to find a morbid fact. This is the cheeriest film ever made. Except for in, you know, in story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not marred by death or mayhem. Kenichi Nomura was the guy who was involved in the film. That, um, And I guess he was a co-writer on this film. Uh, so he was who was often, I think, um, often reared his head for like interviews and stuff when people were kind of calling the authenticity of the film's mm. depictions of Japan and stuff into question. Um, but yeah, I couldn't remember if he was a co-writer or co-director. It's I... all for the for the podcast little image that goes with it. I need to make sure I <laughs> credit all the right directors. I didn't know about this one, but apparently um, Wes Anderson had a, a competition for somebody to uh, be a member of the voice cast for the film. And all you had to do, do was donate $10 for the Film Foundation. Hmm. I had no idea about that. I don't know if I would have entered it. Do we know whose voice it is? No. No, that's, the, that's as far as the fact goes. I don't even think it deserved a uh, Fame whistle. and fortune clearly awaited them. Yeah. <laughs> they were doing like auditions for, they probably do them all over the country, but they were doing auditions to be an extra in one of the Star Wars movies. Yeah. Not that long ago. And a part of me was like, why don't I just do it as someone who doesn't really watch Star Wars? Like, how annoying would that be? <laughs> if I end up, like, visible in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> They'd probably put me in a Muppet suit or a trooper helmet. But imagine if they said, no, you're all right, as is. You just go sit over there. Do I need to change my shirt? Nah, no, it's fine. Just one of those things in the bar. Yeah, da, 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 whatever. <laughs> hey, everyone. <laughs> What's going on? Oh, my God. <laughs> Are we all going to fight in the Star War? <laughs> You'd never watched Star Wars, or you just never got into it? Uh, I, I've, I've seen two of them all the way through. Right. And I've seen pretty big chunks of some of the others on TV. Mm. Like, there was that one time we were at uh, your folks' place, and uh, I think they were showing one a day. I don't think I've ever watched the Star Wars. I saw the the ending of the one where, like, the whiny kid turns into Darth Vader. Oh, okay, now, yeah. Now, I know enough about Star Wars to know that Darth Vader's meant to be a badass. 
and he was in one of the ones I saw all the way through. It was the one where he very famously cuts off the guy's hand. Um, but the transformation of him, like his his debut, I have to. That must have been incredibly disappointing. To to see how he becomes Darth Vader in a prequel, it was he he was terrible. Yeah, and it was like a terrible execution. Um, Why are we talking about Star Wars? Because we can't think of things to say about Isle of Dogs or Vamping. <laughs> We've got a good five minutes left. Oh, apologies earlier if I said that this film was based in China. I think that was just a slip of the tongue. It's obviously set in Japan. Oh, no. I, I think you were referring to the Chinese text, which would have been Japanese. Yes, text. yes. yes. Yeah. But there, yes, there is... There is oh, I, yeah. I thought you were confused that you thought it was the Japanese on-screen text that had been subtitled in Chinese. Maybe. I thought that's what you were saying. Maybe that's what I meant. No, what you but, said was uh, okay. It ended up being one of the biggest rows of our marriage. <laughs> 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 no, I think you, I think you were. There, there was actually Chinese letters on the copy that we were actually watching. So you did say what you said was oh, correct, good. Laura. So okay, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So yeah, you were talking about how much you love Star Wars, Ben. And how? <laughs> They're all right. They're okay. I think you've got to be of a certain age to watch them. I I, I picked them up when I was fifteen. Uh, enjoyed them. I wasn't head over heels, but yeah, there you go. But I can see that you've watched the worst ones. That's why you don't like them. Oh, is the the I am your father hand cutting off one? Is that not considered one of the good ones? Oh, oh, that. Oh, you saw that one. Yeah, that's the best one. If you don't like that, you don't like anything. Unbelievable. Nothing, Do you not like art? You What's wrong art with you, Ben? Bastard, <laughs> That's the Empire Strikes Back. I thought you were talking about the um, the second episode, but it doesn't matter. I did. I saw the one of the prequels, like the '90s prequels. Yeah. On a date, and oh, afterwards, like, and she was really into Star Wars. She was a bit older, and. Um, like the whole like dinner conversation afterwards was just all this Star Wars stuff, and I remember like I remember little trivial factoids about Star Wars. If you wanted to <laughs> do the clangers slide whistle, um, apparently they they when he remastered them, there was a whole like character that was just a guy in the original film, like a guy in like a sort of feathery duffel coat. And he turned it into like a completely different like alien thing when he remastered it, <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why people can't stand George Lucas <laughs> is that he just goes into his films and just completely changes the meaning of the characters. <laughs> oh, it, yeah, that's that's not even the that, that's not even the half of it, Ben. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad you ca- caught that one. I think Laura had an actual factoid about this actual film we're supposed to be talking about. Yeah, hey, you missed it now. Oh, oh dear. We had our chat. Yeah. <laughs> what was the factoid? I'm sick of Star Wars. <laughs> Treading over everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the um, the peach blossom in the film was created by blending rubber foam. Oh yes, nice. There you go. <laughs> For those of you who want to make your own synthetic peach blossom at home, it's hard. Yeah, 
Not anymore. No, just do it in the blender. Mm-mm. Now we've given away the secret recipe. It's dead easy. This character was weird. The really tall henchman character. Like, Antoine Ego. He's so mm. random. Like, there's no reason why he is the way he is. Hmm. <laughs> the good old. What we started with a fantastic um, fight. Cotton wool fight. And the bomb tooth. Yeah. Which, when they have the big one earlier on when he's explaining that, is a, a giant mouth, fake mouth, <laughs> rather than a close up. That's another little uh, beautiful things about uh, certain stop motion films is the close ups. Yeah. Like, especially with hands and stuff like that sushi yeah. shop. <laughs> Once again, a great use of colour. Hmm. I love Oracle so much. Would you guys ever get a dog? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you get you get a sausage kids. Yeah, you get sausage dog, wouldn't you? Yeah, a a whole bustle of them, (laughs) like a banana, but like of dogs. Whatever the collective term is for sausage dogs, Um, (laughs) a bustle. (laughs) <laughs> a draft <laughs> a, a, a hot dog stand <laughs> yeah, a stand cart, of sausage a cart of <laughs> why are you are you getting a cat or a dog oh god no, no I I would love a dog and yeah. Jen would love a cat and Jen she ha- is wrong Jen hates cats I hate no I hate cats Jen hates dogs. So. She wants a cat, but she just wants to hate it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is the appropriate reason to buy a cat. <laughs> they hate you, you hate it. It's a beautiful union. <laughs> I think the idea would be that we're not um, we're not having either, so we're at stalemate. Which is good, because you know, the house won't stink. So there you go. Well, it will it it stink of us. It would only stink with a cat. Yeah. I have to say, like, I, I wouldn't consider myself a cat person... But I have gotten on relatively well with every cat I've known. I don't like cats very much. They, I'm scared of cats, and they know it. You quite liked um, Pierre's old cats. They didn't have any teeth. Is that the fear? Is and it? all claws. What's worse, teeth or claws? Claws. Claws, yeah. Because right. at least with the with the teeth, you can sort of push them away. But claws, just uh, that's what they're just like. Fine, 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 fine. Swipe. <laughs> I had a really bad accident with a cat when I was younger. I I used to love cats, and so I was stroking a cat, and then just for no reason at all, it just it was like I'm done with you, small child claw, and I got its its talon got stuck in my finger nail, yeah. and it just wouldn't let go, and I was on uh, my own. Oh, and what, so, where in your fingernail, like under it or yeah, like through like, it, like here, uh. all the way for it, and I was just like, hell, 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 hell. and I was about eight. So that's why all cats are bastards now. Wow. And what did you do? Just swing your fair, hand around? Do you just swing it round and round and round? Just I think to... I just cried until it let go because <laughs> I was too scared to do anything else. <laughs> so look, this scene, cats in jail, where they belong. 
bad kitty. <laughs> and all the dogs are being and then better. My other friend has a cat that had no teeth. I don't know what it was with cat and teeth. But it just I woke up at her house once and it was just sort of staring at me from above and apparently it just liked to sleep on people's faces. I was like, Oh good. Cats are the worst. Yeah, cats are evil. Mm-hmm. You can get lovely things of anything in the same way that like a lot of people are quite unpleasant, but you get nice ones of those. So you can get nice cats. I just feel like the likelihood that you'll get a nice dog over a nice cat is higher. Yeah. And also dogs are like, at best they're really smart and really clever and can do a lot of things. At worst, they're just stupid and lovely. <laughs> like, there's no yeah, even losing. a dumb dog is just yeah, lovely. Yeah, there's no losing with a dog. Like, if it's an idiot, it's a beautiful idiot. And if it's smart, you're like, get my paper, do my bidding. <laughs> Cats are like, you do my bidding. You work for me now. Yeah. Some people like that arrangement. Gives yeah. them a sense of purpose. I, I think if, this is the scene with the giant dog mouth. I think if you're a more independent person generally and like you prefer to be a bit more aloof, you tend to like cats because cat, you don't own a cat. Cats, you live with a cat. Hmm. You do own a dog and a dog is wants nothing other than to make you happy. Would this film have worked if it was cats? Would you have believed their personalities and their quirks and the fact that they sound like Jeff Goldblum? Well, def- Go- Jeff Goldblum strikes me as a cat anyway. I don't imagine Bill Murray voicing a cat would make a good film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Throw him with a shade. He, I think he agrees. Take that, 2002. <laughs> what are you on about? It, that joke was made in Zombieland 2 that came out last year. Oh, yeah. By him. No, Zombieland 1. He, he did a joke. He did it in Zombieland 2 as well. Ah, well, it's worth repeating. That's why Ben repeated it. Wasn't it he was at like a press junket for... Garfield like, 8 or something. Yeah, <laughs> and that's when the outbreak happens. So then he's just killing his press person. Maybe he really is proud of it and it's just the writers of the Zombieland movies <laughs> want to make fun of him. He's like, okay. <gasps> puppies. <laughs> the puppies are coming. That was my one disappointment in this film. There was no dash hound. Yeah, good point. You got a pug, though. Yeah, so, you know, swings yeah. and roundabouts. I always figured Tilda Swinton would be great at voicing a Boston Terrier. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> Look at them eating their tiny balls. They're like the size <laughs> of your fingernail. They're so small. Oh. Oh. Nom, 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 nom. See, this I think was I like I was saying before about like how Wes Anderson can kind of do something to really bum you out. I'm glad that they got their ending, sort of in spite of everything, in spite of being you know, some might say a slightly cynical I gentleman. It's dogs. You can't. Dogs can't really die. Mm. As found out from next week's movies, all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> Oh, well, there was a lovely, uh, a lovely film to see again. So good. Even the credits are nice. Yeah. Oh, I love this film. What's happening here? Five so, stars. <laughs> <laughs> so next week's, uh, next week's podcast is going to be what versus what? I have a request for next week. That we go the voting to 
do James the Giant Peach because we have a person who really, really wants to be on the podcast who didn't work on it, but I, I want to maybe instigate some sort of veto card where we all get to pick one of the films from the rejection pile or one that hasn't gone up yet that we just do without having to go for a vote. Uh, I think that that's a, a good idea because if we're implementing veto cards, that's the only way we're going to get Dot and the Kangaroo. Yes, <laughs> and that's, that's what I, I thought And kids, well. you've got to have to reconcile with yourselves with the fact that it's happening either way. Yeah, so I would like to use my veto card and just go straight for James and the Giant Peach next week. So in that case... James and the Giant Peach next week, but I'd like the listeners, if they're still listening, if they got through the Star Wars stuff, <laughs> if they're still listening, to send us in suggestions as well. Because uh, it'd be good to get some more suggestions for the for the film club uh, over the next week. Uh, and then we can ignore them. <laughs> maybe throw something at us that um, maybe is a bit obscure. Yeah. Maybe something that wouldn't have occurred to us immediately. Because we've, we've you know, we have a kind of spreadsheet that we're consulting as we go, but, um, you know, I quite liked at the beginning that, that, you know, we were kind of more on the independent edge of things. Um, and I like sort of the idea of mixing that in with some of the big theatrical releases and stuff, mm. or maybe things that are, you know, kind of sleeper hits or cult classics or things like that. So, um, the easiest thing would to just be, you know, do every, that film be a Pixar or a Disney film and I think we don't really want to no ideally not nah, we... it's a bit redundant I think yeah but uh, yeah any suggestions send them in so James and the Giant Peach next week do you want to reveal who the person is that you want to get in on the podcast it's going to be Joseph Wallace ooh because uh, it's it's one of his favourite films I believe and he's been gutted every time it's lost out to a vote and he, uh, he uh, asked us. And is, via, it, is he free? He was begging and pleading and <laughs> yeah. sending text after text after text. <laughs> he asked via the internet. 2 a.m. voicemail messages. Whether we could please, please, please do it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Well, you and him were bonding a bit the other day over James and the Giant Peach miscellany. Oh, yeah, and, he really uh, wanted to know what the art of book I had, so I found it for him on eBay, and so now he's bought it. <laughs> <laughs> so next week. Uh, we're joined by Joseph Wallace, whether he likes it or not. He's probably going to listen to this, this tomorrow when it, when it go, or when it comes out. Him finding out. You can't get out of it now, Joe. <laughs> you want to be in. You have to go by our schedule. 7pm Thursday. You have plans tough. <laughs> <laughs> so unless something comes up, <laughs> that's what it will be. If we're, not, if we're not using the podcast to ruin people's plans, then, then what's the point in having a podcast? Exactly. Oh, that's going to be fun. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing James and the Giant Peach again. That's going to be good. Yeah, it's a good one. I haven't watched it in quite I mean, a it's while. Not, I mean, it's not good enough to win, because it's, n- it's it's not won twice. But, you know, it's... <laughs> it came up against two good films. Did it? Yeah. yeah, what was it up against first? Was it Fantastic Mr. Fox? No. No, no, it was up against Mary and Max. Yeah, oh, come on. Yeah, okay, fair That's enough. not fair. But then it was up against the BFG, I think, in the Simpsons movie. And No, it was against the BFG, and it was very... that It went against the Simpsons movie, but then it went up against the BFG, and that's it was very close. Yeah. And I think somebody did sort of set Manchester on it. All the Manchester animators got wind of the BFG being an option. 
Yeah, I wonder who that was. Yeah, I wonder who it was as well. Anyway, uh, we're running out of time on this podcast before the uh, you know uh, the, the, the accusations start. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so you know. So yeah, next week James and the Giant Peach. Uh, I vote for James and the Giant Peach. Uh, everyone votes for it. And uh, Joe, if you've made plans, unfortunately, not. And apologies for calling Joe. I know it's Joseph. So we're on social media uh, at Squiggly. We're on the website squiggly.com share this like this do all the other stuff with it uh, and send us any suggestions for future films guys have you anything to say thanks for joining us thank you stay cool everyone bye <laughs> bye bye